You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Curtain up, theater people, and welcome to your program is your ticket. Coming to you from the Hell's Kitchen area of Midtown Manhattan, right in the middle of Broadway. My name is Sean Chandler, and I'll be your host. Your program is your ticket as a discussion of smaller theater works and the people and organizations that make them happen. As many of you know, your program is your ticket is a helpful system where your program is literally your ticket to get into the theater in smaller, more intimate productions. It's these works we like to highlight, and it's our goal on this show to feature as many of those productions as possible while still discussing the biggies. I love theater and see as much as I can wherever I go. During the travels of the production of My Husband and My Play at The Flash, I met many wonderful people from all over the world in the theater community, and it is my honor to bring them on as guests to the show. Tonight's guest will be playwright, and he's also a cartoonist, hopefully he'll talk about that as well, the hysterically funny Howard Margulies. We'll be bringing Howard on in just a few minutes, but first I'd like to talk about something that I know bugs many theater goers. It really bugs me. But people are often intimidated by taking action, and that's audience etiquette. That's how the audience is behaving while they're in the theater and seeing the show. Um, I will start by saying that I'm probably a little more sensitive to this than most. I'm a playwright and often go to the theater to experience the artistic content, the writing, the acting, the production value. I understand people go to the theater for different reasons, and that's sort of my point of view. So please take that into consideration as I talk about this. Um, Knowing that, I take as many measures as possible to make the experience as enjoyable as I can for myself um, with sort of my agenda in going into the theater. Um, I always try to hand-select my seats to be on the aisle if I can. I'm a big guy, and it's more comfortable for me, and the seats that are in a lot of New York theaters, especially the older ones, I swear to God are made for kindergartners. They are just so narrow. And even when I'm in a thin phase, I still have big shoulders. And and so I, I want to be uh, comfortable. And I also do something that's probably a little strange for people, but I wear earplugs to shows most of the time. And when I tell people this, they say, well, how can you actually hear what's going on? And when you wear earplugs, you actually have more selective hearing. So I can hear what's going on on the stage, the music, usually the actors, um, anything audio that's up there, what it does is it drowns out the sounds of candy wrappers and talking and uh, crinkling bottle water bottles and, and um, stuff like that. Um, so, so I do try. I do whatever I can. Um, 
And I still find myself confronting people to try and be considerate to others. Now, there is a circumstance where I'm a little bit more understanding, and that's when I'm at a show that I know is geared towards children. Like if I'm going to see a Disney show like Lion King or Aladdin or Beauty and the Beast or whatever, or something like Wicked, where I know there are going to be kids in the audience. Um, I do try to raise my tolerance level as much as I possibly can. Uh, and, and try to be understanding because I know they're young and they're squirmy and all of that. And it takes, you know, uh, it takes a good deal of effort for them to sit still just by nature. Um, and, and I do want to say that I do give bonus points for parents who are trying to control their kids. If your kid is raising hell in the theater um, and and you're just sitting there and letting them, then that will bother me a lot more than if you're telling them to be quiet and sit still. So, um, but 98% of the time, the issues, I hate to say this, uh, arise from the adults in the theater. And there's a few situations that are are, are very obvious. Um, First is talking. A lot of people like to talk in the theater. They like to discuss the song that just occurred or the person that just came up on stage. And, And I'm thinking to myself while they're talking about it, uh, we can all hear you. We're around you, and we can hear you, unless, of course, we're wearing earplugs, and sometimes even that, um, I can still hear people. Um, and often, so can the performers. Um, they're actually real-life people up there, and they're working. They're remembering lines and, and blocking, and, and they're emoting, and they're concentrating. So it's really helpful if you can just go in and sit down and just Sit still for an hour. I don't think that's a lot to ask for grown adults, but anyways, that's, again, just me. Um, Cell phones. Uh, Please, when you're in the audience, turn off your cell phone and don't look at it. Um, Just recently, my husband and I were fortunate enough to get tickets to Hello, Dolly, and there was a lady in behind us during, like, Act 2, which has some emotional moments, literally looking at her cell phone, and... It bothers me. I really couldn't see it, but I noticed it out of the corner of my eye and I couldn't block it out because I was so annoyed that this woman was checking her phone. So just turn off the phones. You don't really need them unless, you know, you're a doctor or something like that. And just so you know, one of the great things about seeing smaller, more intimate productions is that there is less of a chance that you're going to run up against that. Um, talking and loud noises and things like that, interruptions are a little more noticeable when you're in a theater of 30 to 90 seats. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but you're going to get a little more concentration and, and a little bit better behavior. So so if when you're in a theater, just be nice and, and considerate to everybody around you and they will love you for it. Okay, um, now that I've gotten that off my chest, thank you for letting me, uh, we're going to bring on our guest. And as I indicated earlier, today's guest is the hilarious and brilliantly talented uh, playwright and, and cartoonist. I hope he talks about it. Howard Margulies. Hi, Howard, and welcome to your program is your ticket. Nice to meet you, Sean. (laughs) By by the way, apropos of your confront nicely, this is why I always bring an ice pick to the theater. (laughs) (laughs) For the record, I didn't just meet Howard. Uh, David and I have actually known Howard and his lovely wife, uh, Ellen, for probably about a good, I don't know, 15 years or, or so. David worked at an advertising agency with Howard, and I believe, were you a, were you a copywriter at the advertising agency? I 
typed. I think it was, yes, it was mostly copy, yes. <laughs> uh, and since we've moved to New York, we've become uh, uh, very, very close with them, and, and they're, they're just great people. And Howard is one of the funniest writers I've ever read, and hilarious, too. So if I, if I laugh a lot, then, well, deal with it, because you'll probably be laughing, too. So, Howard, tell us a little bit about yourself and your creative theater passion. Oh, my God. Well, I would, let me just go back and say that I've been leaving droppings in the culture, in the zeitgeist, for a long time. That's sort of the way I entertain myself. I have short-term attention span, and uh, I move from one... I'm a dilettante, is what it is, Sean. And uh, I've been writing plays, short plays, for about 10 years. I was reminded of by a friend of mine who read one of my early plays at least 10 years ago. So that's how it's like carbon dating uh, on a career. And uh, over the years, I've earned a living as a writer, which is almost unheard of, uh, since 1985. I've earned a living as a writer in advertising, in television. Uh, of course, you don't earn a living as a playwright. That, that's a given. <laughs> you sort of write because the, it feels good to, to, to write it. Uh, so I've been, and then as a cartoonist, I earned something of a, a minor living for a little while. So I, it just supports the idea that I'm a dilettante. I moved from one uh, art form to another, and uh, now it's playwriting. Wow. Um, what do you consider to be your forte with all of? all of those hats that you wear, your specialty? Well, I, I would say, uh, you know, Aaron Sorkin is doing one of these masterclass series of uh, uh, videos. Right. And in, in one, of the, um, one of the installments, he said, dialogue is where the art comes in. Uh, and when you're writing a short play, it isn't plotting per se. It's finding a moment and writing dialogue that captures personality, character, tension, and it does it within 10 minutes, generally. That's the, that's the cap. Most of the um, so-called festivals of 10-minute plays, the criteria is that it's under 10 pages and that it runs for no longer than 10 minutes or they'll give you the axe, basically, mm. is the threat they hold over your head. <laughs> the hook. The hook. So I would say... My forte, if there is a, such a thing, uh, is uh, I, I think I'm good at writing dialogue of cross-purposes, where people sort of talk across each other and talk uh, diametrically. There's a lot of tension in the dialogue. And, and I was thinking about this. Um, growing up in, in Sheepshead Bay, where Larry David said most conversations in his family were... were done in a form of a yelling match. That's, how, that's where I grew up in the same neighborhood. And I, I think if you go back, if you could look at the transcripts of the conversations that went on in my family between my father and my aunts, it was a, it was a prosecutorial uh, interrogation almost all the time. Huh. So I, I think that really is infiltrated of the way I hear people talking. I, I know Mamet does the same thing, where people t t smack each other in the face with words. Um, I think my childhood informed, and certainly, uh, I'll drop a name, 
Uh, I am related by blood to the uh, playwright Donald Margulies, who grew up listening to the same harangues and and uh, prosecutions over the years. And I think we have very similar ears. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. So I think that's what I, I'm good at is writing the dialogue that captures personality and a history and just the pain of being in the same place at the same time. Hmm. Wow, that's, that's really interesting because I... That is exactly the type of dialogue that you write, and you do it with such subtlety that I didn't realize that that's what was actually going on until you brought it up. But I've seen your work, and I've read a lot of your work as well, and it it does feel like people are talking sort of at each other and having a really hard time hearing. And and you say that come that came from your childhood, which is. Um, interesting, and, and I've also uh, seen and read some of, of your work by your brother, and and what's cool is that you guys have two completely different writers' voices. Um, I think yours is a little more acerbic and um, confrontational. Well, and Well, Donald wants to be liked, and uh, I, have oh. no, <laughs> I have no desire to be liked. <laughs> well, there's, well. No, there's no upside for me to, to be liked. I'm, uh, it's a 10-minute play. It'll run two to four times. And then the world will never see it again unless they look on Vimeo. Look me up on Vimeo. <laughs> and you'll be able to see some uh, recordings of uh, past productions. I, I think you're underestimating yourself there. Well, that's not the first time that would happen. <laughs> <laughs> what messages and themes do you strive to convey to your audience or the pieces that you choose. I think you may have touched on it with your previous answer, but can you expand upon that? I think people want to be understood. In fact, I I just wrote a play which we'll be doing and your husband David will be directing in Mm -hmm. July called Do You Understand What I'm Trying to Say? And I think that's sort of the (laughs) Rosetta Stone for everything I've ever written is that people don't understand what each other... They don't understand each other. They It's almost like... At work, nobody knows what anybody else does for a living. It's it's a mystery to them. So it's, and that's in the same place where you're working, and they're not quite sure what you do and how do you do it. You work your copy magic here, you know, just wordsmith this. There's no sense of what somebody else does for a living. So I think that sort of infiltrates uh, the work in general. Is that people want to be understood by other people, but there's this chasm of perception and language and expectations mm. so th- I think that's that's what sort of drives the typing that I do <laughs> the 600 second plays that I've been writing <laughs> uh, I love that that's that should be the name of one of the 10 minute festivals <laughs> that's, a good, <laughs> that's a good idea we'll get on that we'll start our own theater company and get on that um, so uh, do you think that this point of view that you write from, is it because we're sort of 
back into a, like an I generation. Like everybody's uh, sometimes I feel like we're in a generation where everybody is just very self-focused. I don't know that it's a current issue. I think it's a universal issue. I mean, I grew up in the 60s, 70s. I don't remember the 60s or 70s, but not because I was stoned, just because <laughs> I didn't pay any attention, really. Um, I think it's, it's as, my experience for as, as long as I've been alive is that these issues affect all conversations. Um, and uh, so it's, it, it's nothing, I don't think it's a new thing, although we seem to be more insulated, isolated, by the technology, you know, it's like mom is watching the TV in the kitchen, dad's watching the TV in the man cave, the kids have TVs. They're not, we're not even watching television together. Mm. It used to be that shared experience. So that's true, but I think the idea that nobody's really like on the same frequency um, or rarely is sort of a universal problem of humanity. And I don't think it's, I, I don't, it may have gotten worse because of the segmentation. There's no such thing as broadcasting anymore. It's just narrow casting. It's like the first uh, the first TV show network for divorced women who are embittered. You know, it's like really specific, narrow, and you could. That's a huge market, I would imagine. Sure, that's a great way of putting it. Narrow casting. Well, I didn't, I didn't make that up. But that's that's it's affecting everything. It isn't just cable segmenting the market. You know, do-it-yourselfers who have one left you know, one leg missing, you know, it's like you could segment an audience in the most absurd way and there would be a million and a half people watching it. Sure, yeah. sure. Yeah. I think that you can uh, sort of also get that that idea or feeling like if you go into Yahoo and you start typing something that, you know, like um, people who love, you know, raisin bran muffins. And, and then you'll have this big long list of all of these various segments. It's like, I thought I was the only person who loved them that much. <laughs> exactly. Or, or you think you've, you've hit on some brilliant observation and you put it in Google and there it comes. It's the predictive, uh, you know, search. So a million other people have been wondering the same thing. Right. I thought I was so clever. Well, I'm going to just stop trying to be clever. <laughs> it's too frustrating. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't think that you can do that. Well, I'm <laughs> going to try. But okay. <laughs> so, what happens when you're when you're staring at the screen and you are starting a new play and you want it a new ten minute play and you want it well, well big play too um, and and you want to get that message through. What's sort of like your process? Well, you know, I've had ideas that I've been kicking around for 30 years, that I've written short stories mm -hmm. and unpublished short stories that have served as the um, basis for several plays that I've written recently and produced. So I think it's you sort of... You know what I used to do? I'll tell you what I used to do. Please do. I'm going to tell you. Good. I used to look through... I used to do Google searches, Google alerts on the most obscure, like, bus plunge. I would put in a term called bus plunge and all these stories about buses going off the road, the side of the mountains in Peru <laughs> would come up. And I would, do, I would do searches for obscure terms and 
you find these amazing stories that don't get any coverage at all that are in the little little newspapers around the country around and and it gives you a little germ of an idea i've written numerous short stories based based on just nuggets of things i've i found in the in the disposable news culture of of our time um I, I usually just start writing a scene, basically. I, I just start people, I get them talking. And it may go nowhere, but I start them off. I have a basic idea of where I want the conversation to go. And then I, I just let the characters talk to each other and see if I find the characters. Hmm. Cool. Um, that is definitely a writer's mind, in my opinion. It's, 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 it's being aware of your... It being cognizant of your surroundings and and seeing like one small little thing and going, you know what that can be that could be blown up hugely, and you could apply theme and 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 uh, message to it and story arc. You know, when I when I was uh, living in L.A., everyone heard, would hear, um, "Oh, you're writing a TV, you're writing on a TV show." Wow, I got this great idea. Sure, <laughs> I've got this great idea, and they'll they'll pitch you the first thirty eight seconds of the movie, mm-hmm. and I said. That's interesting. What happens then? What? Well, I don't know. You're the writer. <laughs> I got that a lot. Very often. <laughs> I I have too, and I didn't I didn't write for a TV show. I but um, uh, I'll have people say, I know you work with a lot of people. You like co-write with with people. We should write a script together. Um, and I have this great idea. And you, what I usually say is, I'll tell you what. Write me a 15 to 20 page synopsis of what you want to do, and, and we'll see if we can do it. That immediately puts the kibosh on it. I'll settle for a paragraph with a beginning, middle, and end. <laughs> well, I'm, looking, I'm actually just looking to see if somebody would be committed to writing, you know, multiple pages of something like that. But, you know, everyone's got a lot of ideas. It's like that, uh, I think it was in A Mighty Wind, that uh, what Fred Willard says... Uh, got a lot of ideas. Not doing a lot of writing, but the ideas keep coming. <laughs> I got pitched an idea yesterday, um, and the opening was, you want to work with me? I want to win an Academy Award. Oh. <laughs> that was a first. That was like, aim really, really high. Right. It doesn't matter what the idea is. That's your end goal. That's your end game, win the Academy Award. Yeah, because no script writer wants to win an Academy Award, right? No. I would just go out and buy that tuxedo now. <laughs> Um, what do you think is an important direction theater is taking right now well you know i i wondered about that you you sort of floated that question by me i'm not sure i'm not actually sure i've picked up a theme that's going through theater I, i i have noticed on a couple of occasions recently um plays that it's almost as though the playwrights have gotten bored with the conventions of playwriting and are doing these sort of gimmicky things to keep themselves interested. And I think it's it's an experimental thing. I applaud it. But it doesn't really make for good theater. I like living rooms. I like people that I can understand having different points of view, having... I just need to be able to relate to something and not have not realize I don't want to see the ghost in the machine I don't want to see the mechanism mm-hmm. 
at work. I don't want to be aware of certain things. I don't want to, it takes me out of the moment and now I'm thinking about thinking about the play. I don't want to do that. And I think that's, you see when some playwrights, they're saying, no, there's got to be more than this. There's got to be more than people in a room talking. Well, okay, if that's important to you, fine. But for my, to my tastes and sensibilities, I need to be able to just... I don't have to agree with everything that's on the stage. I don't need to, I don't need to even identify with these characters. I can hate all the characters equally. But I don't want to be aware that there's a mechanism, a gimmick, being laid over the play. Mm. Like we saw a play the other day, a couple of weeks ago, that had a lottery at the beginning to decide who was going to play what, and all the actors had to memorize all the parts in the play. Well, that's, it's interesting. It's sort of like pulling a train with your teeth. It's, a, it's an amazing feat, but why? I mean, I can, I can just hail a cab. I don't need to, you know, it's like, it, it just, it seemed like an unnecessary gigaw, you know, just yeah. some sort of, free, you know, chicken that can sing at the beginning of the, I don't know, it just, it just seemed arbitrary to me, and uh, I, I sort of saw through, it seems like the playwright's getting bored with, with certain conventions of playwriting, and they're having a laugh, which mm. is cool if you can get away with it i didn't find it a satisfying experience um did did you feel manipulated well anytime i'm aware that i'm being made to feel a certain way or yes i I guess that's true although i want to say just step take one step back and say i love actors i love watching actors every play has some moment in it that was made it worth going to see. I love watch. I could, we, we, my wife and I have seen, um, we saw this stage reading of Hamlet. It's one of the best performances of Hamlet I've ever seen, and they were sitting on stools. It was remarkable. It was as dramatic and as tension-filled and as funny and as horrifying as Hamlet could be. No, no sets, no props, just actors sitting on a stage on very uncomfortable looking stools hmm. and so I would I would rather see a stage reading of a good play than the most elaborate production of a mediocre something ah I see are you a fan of the the sort of I don't want to call it trend um, a lot of directors and, and theaters are quote-unquote, stripping down plays. Former musicals and plays that were huge productions before, they're tearing them down and then they're building them up um, under different, sometimes modern circumstances, sometimes right. absurd circumstances. Right. Like like the um, the current production of Glass Menagerie with Sally Field. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's supposed to be stripped down and not, not the... Not the full set and and costumes and that. Um, I, you've seen shows like that recently, haven't you? Yeah, I mean, I don't mind that. Um, sometimes the, I feel like it's an it's a financial decision more than a, an aesthetic decision. Maybe it's an aesthetic decision that comes out of a financial re- reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't need to see a, a representational set that's 
accurate to the, you know to the architecture of the time. You don't need that. You don't. You 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 only need pieces that indicate a certain thing. But I don't know whether it's a trend because it's a, an aesthetic or whether it's you know there's a there's a there's a new trend in in real estate that's affecting how offices are staffed and it's called densification meaning we're going to put as many people on one floor as we can and that's a financial decision that's not an aesthetic decision or a managerial decision it's purely the, the usurious price of new york real estate mm. that's driving these innovations you know and when i saw the floor the the floor plan of this thing it looked a little like a slave ship the way it was wow. laid out I, you should do it side by side it's kind of shocking and that's a decision that's a financial decision wow so it's it's sort of like necessity is the mother of invention yeah um and and I would assume that, you know, because it's so expensive to produce a show, particularly they do a lot of this stuff in London and bring it over um, in one of the big cities that that it probably does come from finance. I, I could only imagine. It, it most definitely. Um, what do you think is the best part of being involved with the, the smaller, more intimate aspect of theater? Uh, you mean... Producing it yourself, or it's what I love the small audience where you can actually see a quiver on the actor's face. Mm-hmm. We saw a piece the other day, uh, Will Eno's play, and uh, Michael um, Emerson. Just watching him work, it was really it was a master class in acting. I wasn't crazy about the play, but. It was a performance. I'm very glad I saw it. It was astounding. Mm-hmm. Astounding work. And the theater, it was a very tiny theater, and it was, it was exciting. It was very exciting. Uh-huh. What's the name of the play? Wakey Wakey. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm writing that down so that I can go see it, because I, I, I love the Margulies' suggestions for theater. Um, they, they are big theater nerds, and... I love going to the theater with them and and his his lovely wife Ellen. I think I've mentioned Ellen before. She is one who will like always send me emails about smaller plays and things like that. So I think that that's so. Really I cool. love Will Eno's work. Uh, one of my favorite Eno plays was The Open House, which was for me captured family, the horrors of family. It was brilliant. It didn't get the love that it deserved. It was an amazing piece of work. Uh, this this play not as much, but Michael Emerson, man, what a great actor! Mm. Yeah. Now, uh, I'm, the the name sounds familiar. Is is what? Emerson. Yeah. Was he? He was in Lost. I was going to say, was he in Lost? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah. that. Also, uh, that uh, that show uh, on CBS. What was it called? Body of Evidence or? Person of interest. Person of interest. Yes. Okay. And he won. I, I think he won uh, uh, an Emmy award for Lost as well. I'm pretty sure. He's great. I mean, he is such a powerful. Well, his technique is fantastic. I mean, I'm not watching his technique. I'm I'm watching a human being on a stage, change before my eyes. The technique is a function of that. But as as an acting student, I watched it with 
tremendous awe. Oh yeah, I, I, th- I think I mentioned earlier uh, about seeing Oslo, uh, which which is a big show, but started off with a tremendously successful run over at Lincoln Center, one of their small theaters. And I was telling David the other night that I I I had the experience where I was just watching this unfold. Like you, I'm probably I'm probably looking for the writing. I'm looking for the production value. I'm looking for the acting, things like that. And when I forget about all that, it's like hallelujah. It's a, it's it's yeah. it's a great experience. Um, what should every theatrical artist, like writer, actor, composer, be doing right now to be relevant and successful in the industry? Oh, as coming from someone who is neither relevant nor successful. <laughs> Stop. Well, I would say just keep putting stuff out there. Just uh, writers write, actors act. Just keep keep doing it. Go, you know, create your own media. Put it on YouTube. Just get stuff out. Just make. Just be a maker. Right. Um, it's talent is great to have, but I think the difference is is drive and persistence. You know, when I was uh, shopping around my talents on different TV shows, uh, I found that a current uh, common question was, "What else are you doing?" And I didn't. I didn't grok it. At the time, and I get it now, it's maybe a little late for that now, but basically they were, they were waiting to hear, well, I've got this play I'm putting up at the HBO Theater. I've got, I'm doing something else mm-hmm. while I'm waiting to be hired on in the next show. And I think that's really a lesson that I learned is that you just always have to be doing something. Right. Otherwise, you're sitting around waiting. And, and the phone never rings. Right. You have to make it ring. <laughs> Precisely. You're absolutely right. Um, what is your favorite play? Oh. Uh, well, Uncle Vanya. I, I've seen it several times. It's a, it's a fantastic play. Cool. What is your favorite musical? Mm, that's a good question. Um, Thank you. Well, you know... We saw Fiddler recently, the most recent staging with uh, Danny, what's his name? Danny Burstein. Danny Burstein. I'll tell you, I have a a renewed... The play came out when I was a kid, and I play the accordion, and I played a lot of the music on the accordion. It didn't connect with me. I didn't get the story. So we saw it in the most recent incarnation. It is a fantastic story. Mm -hmm, I agree. It's It's just a brilliant musical. And I, I think it may be better than I ever imagined. I think it's better than the audience even imagined. It's, it's just perfect. Oh, yeah. It's, it's a wonderful show. And your lovely wife invited me and got me into Seth Radetzky's show. We both went, obviously. She didn't, she didn't just say, here, go in by yourself. <laughs> um, and we, he interviewed Sheldon Harnick, yeah. who was one of the writers on the show. And that man was nice. And and humble, and he's written all these great great productions. And um, he actually he shared a, a, a story where he felt very intimidated the first time he he wrote on a big production because he was writing with some of the some really established people. Mm-hmm. And I completely identified with that. I always I don't know about you, but I always write from a, a place of insecurity and work from a place of insecurity. Well, that's a given, right? <laughs> but you know, getting back to Fiddler, um, just the one song, "Do You Love Me," 
it really brought home that this arranged marriage, the horror of, of two people, two strangers being thrust together through life, you know, never connected to with me before. I mm-hmm. never that 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 production really brought home the the challenges and the sacrifices made by the family. It wasn't just the pogroms and the the usual things happening to them. It was just the life, the daily life. I never realized uh, how deep this this show really is. It's great. Yeah, I I love I love the themes. I I'll be honest with you. I tried to watch the movie, but for some reason the daughters just look too much like like hippie chicks for me. You know, having seen the show, this this incarnation of the show, it would be a wholly different movie if it had that point of view. Mm-hmm. If it captured that, you know, everything was a joke. There was always the songs were all treacly. The way they were portrayed, and they just took on a whole new level of resonance for me, mm-hmm. seeing it this time as an adult and getting the backstory. It was just a. I, I hope if it's is it a traveling show? Is it is it being moved? Is it? I I think that they are touring that production. Well, I hope it maintains that sensibility because it's just a. Uh oh, they're coming for me now. <laughs> It was a trap all along. <laughs> well, I should. We should ask David because David ab- absolutely befriended the actress who plays the oldest daughter um, on on Twitter, and they became like Twitter buddies. But David's like that. He'll like befriend people on Twitter that are way out of my social stratosphere, but. Anyways, I do think that that's touring, and I completely agree with you on that. I love that we got the various beats very clearly in that show. It's an excellent show. Uh, do you have a favorite writer? Well, um, I would say the Mammoth Margulies, Eno Ives. Uh, I like Nikki Silver a lot. Mm-hmm. Samuel Hunter, I like him a lot. He's really a smart guy, and he's, he, he wrote on the show uh, Baskets. Some of the best episodes were Samuel D. Hunter shows. I love that show. Yeah, he's, he's a very talented guy. Yeah. You guys turned us on to that show, and I swear to God, we watched it in like a day and a half. It's, it's an amazing piece of work. Oh, Louis so. Anderson is doing the, the best work I've seen ever. Just incredible character. Just blowing everybody off every screen. Yeah. Like TV screen, film screen, computer screen. Sorry if I'm offending the actors out there, but I tell you. You've got to see Louis Anderson play this woman. And it's not a female impersonation role. He embodies this woman. It's fantastic. It's, It's transformational. Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Every actor has to study what he's doing. Oh yeah, and, and who would have thought? I love when I'm surprised like that. 
And see, and the mar- once again, the Margulies giving us a good recommendation. There you go. <laughs> I don't know much, but I do know what I know. <laughs> which, which is a lot. It's much, actually. He's just being humble. Um, tell us what, you, what you've been working on lately. What you got going on? Well, um, I just got a play accepted into the um, International uh, Midtown International Theater Festival. Um, Congratulations! For, for the summer, it's it's a nice little venue. I really enjoy putting up plays there. And uh, your husband David is going to be directing. I think I'm going to I'm going to play one of the parts, and we're going to be casting. Well, it's in July, so it's a little early to start casting. And I'm working on a, a, a longer piece that's starting out to be a one-act, but could be, again, longer. Oh, good. Yeah, Excellent. Yeah, you just keep typing, and then it, four pages more come out, and then you just keep typing, and you don't hit delete. Well, that's okay. I think every new work that you start sort of develops its own formula as you go along. Yeah, it's it's... It's already longer than 10 pages. <laughs> good, so I know good. it's going to be a longer play. <laughs> good. We need a full-length play from you. And uh, Deborah Grimberg, who is the sort of uh, executive, the dramaturge of this theater that I've been working with, has been encouraging me to, to, to write. And she's been a tremendous supporter over the last couple of years. It's very exciting. When she likes something, it means a lot to me. Cool. Well, before we go, uh, before I let you go, tell us a little bit about your cartooning. Well, there was a point at which uh, my daughter was very young and we were in the house a lot. I think we had one babysitter one time. Uh, so we never left the house. With, <laughs> we, we never left the house or never left the house without her. Right. <laughs> and uh, I needed something, some creative outlet that would allow me to just be at home. And I don't know... I had the encouragement of an art professor, Cynthia Danzig, from Long Island University, who always insisted that I draw and cartoon. And um, so I started doing that, and I broke into the National Lampoon. And some other, it, was, it was a little stopgap measure until I could get into advertising, and that totally killed my um, artistic <laughs> needs. I didn't have time anymore. But I, for a few years, I was submitting constantly the new yorker and other magazines and i've i've got quite a few published uh, cartoons if you, you know i was discussing with um my wife that if you just happened upon all the little droppings i've been leaving over the years it looks like i have an amazing career but you've got to find these little zines that i worked on the the soho art newsletter the papers that have gone in and out of business. If you find all of these things and you add them up, it looks like, what a brilliant career. That's amazing, all this work. But, of course, it's just dust in the wind. Why don't you create a website and put it all on a website? Yeah, it's really not worth it. Oh, come on. <laughs> no, I'm, not being, I'm not being disingenuous. It, it really isn't worth it. Oh, please. That's just your opinion. We all have a different opinion. I'll email you everything I've ever done, Sean. You can, oh, okay. And then I'll, I'll create a website for you? If you so desire. Hey, I figured out how to do this show. I can create a website. That's true. <laughs> Speaking of which, why don't you give our audience any or all of your social media information? Well, I'm basically on Twitter at 8 
at H Margulies, M-A-R-G-U-L-I-E-S. And that's basically how you can find me. Are you active on Twitter? I, I read it every day. Oh, good. Yeah. You tweet a lot? I've written over 10,000 tweets. Oh, my gosh. Some of the best work I've ever done has gone unrequited. <laughs> you know, I have like uh, 1,200 followers, and I'll only hear from the same five or six people. <laughs> I think they're all dead or bots or aluminum siding companies that have decided to follow me. It's the strangest world, Twitter, really. It's very strange, but yet it's an outlet. I think that's why I never want Donald Trump to stop tweeting. <laughs> it's a pressure relief valve. I don't want him stopping. Don't stop tweeting. You know, I... I I take my life my own hands here, but sometimes for entertainment value, I'll go read his Twitter. There you go. <laughs> it's in character. It's, it's, it's short little bursts that reveal tremendous amount of in, interior life or the absence thereof. And uh, it's fascinating. Oh, I agree. Well, everyone, please, please follow Howard on Twitter. He is so hilarious. He's just one of the funniest people I've ever met and. And totally my kind of sense of humor. You have a very, very dry, sardonic sense of humor. And you're one of those people, like, you tell a joke, and it it needs to register. It needs to register for, like, a fraction of a second, and then it's hilarious. Joke I bombs. love that. Joke bombs, we call them. Joke bombs? Yeah, there's a time delay on them. You put them out, and then the hilarity ensues. <laughs> well, but there there's always go. a delay period. <laughs> Oh, my God, Howard, you're hilarious. It was so great having you on the show. Will you come back? If you let me in the apartment, I sure. Will. <laughs> I will, for sure. Okay, Howard, thank you so much for being with us on your program as your ticket. You were, as usual, delightful. My pleasure. <laughs> um, before I go, I'd like to give uh, shout-outs to current shows that I recommend. Um, on tonight's show, I would like to recommend a show that David and I saw at the public theater called Gently Down the Street. Now, I enjoyed the play. What I liked most about the, the play was Harvey Firestein's performance. He plays a, gar- a gay character, which he pretty much always does, but very different from his other characterizations. Um, in this, he, he had, um, he was, his character was from New Orleans, and he had this great New Orleans accent that I totally bought. Um, and I particularly enjoyed his performance in the later scenes because he plays a character that I haven't seen Harvey Firestein play. Um, I, what, one of my first experiences in New York was seeing him in Torch Song Trilogy in the original production back in 1982. Um, then, of course, I've seen him in Hairspray, and he's, just, he's a marvelous actor. But um, in this performance, particularly as he got older... Uh, his character changed, and it was like he was a completely different person. And it made me want him to made me want to see him in like a hardcore, like nasty, hard edged politician kind of role. It was it's kind of hard to explain. But one of the great things about the smaller, more intimate shows is that you get to see some of these performances from heavy hitter talent up closer. And and at times that well, the tickets can be less expensive. Usually, if you got a star in the or a big name in the show, it's they're a little more expensive, but it wouldn't be like, you know, having to pay, you know, six hundred dollars to see someone do a musical. So, um, I would look for that if that's something that you like. And of course, you can always get ticket tickets uh, 
uh, in, in cheap ways from the various websites and stuff. Uh, again, it's gently down the stream. It's playing at the Public Theater in New York City. It closes on May 14th, unless, of course, they extend it. Extend it. And you can get tickets at www and, and information, www.publictheater.org. That's theater with an E-R. Well, folks, the proverbial 11 o'clock number has been sung and the bows have been taken, so it's time to lower the curtain. I'd like to thank our guest, the sensational Howard Margulies. He was delightful. If you'd like to, for me to give you a shout-out for a show in your area or a mention of your organization, go to my Facebook page at facebook.com backslash your program is your ticket. Give me a like, shoot me a message, and I'll be happy to give you the mention. Folks, take a little time to see a show this week. Don't forget to give a smaller show some love. There's a lot of theater gems out there. Until our next show, good night, theater people and curtain. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply.